wanted to start off by making a, a, a statement and then trying to prove it. And I think the statement will be a little harsh. Uh, and I think that there are some people, but maybe everyone will agree with me. I think there are some people that have a uh, vendetta against, uh, against or to undermine the veracity of the Torah, the, the historicity of the Torah. I don't know why. I think... We could debate why it's true, but I think that the phenomenon is certainly true, and I think it's very much pertinent to us in our discussion, where we're trying to do an honest and logical assessment as to the authorship and the historicity of the Torah. I think it's important for us to know what, uh, that, that, uh, that there are people out there, uh, in my opinion, I'll try to prove it, and I have uh, evidence here, uh, uh, that are seeking to... Uh, uh, they're seeking to come up... going. Uh, Great lengths to try to come up with oh, yeah. proofs against the Torah. Yeah, you think it's true? I think yeah, I think most people would agree that it's true. But I have some interesting, interesting that I came across. This is a, a an article from the New York Times from this year, and the title of the article is "Camels Had No Business in Genesis." Oh yeah, <laughs> camels had no business in Genesis, and I. Uh, this is not the first time that uh, this, this has been a huge thing. The Torah must not be true because the Torah contains what's known as anachronism. And anachronism is when you have uh, a historical document that contains elements uh, that only were only discovered later. Like, for example, if you have a document of... Uh, this pen, I think, is Jeremy's, right? That's uh, yours. Okay, I apologize. If we have a document... Uh, if we have a historical document pur- purporting to be uh, from... Ancient Rome. Uh, from ancient Rome, and it has a helicopter, you know it's probably not true, it's probably fiction, because we know when the advent of helicopters was. So this article tries to make a claim that Abraham had camels, and Genesis, he was talking about Abraham's camels, uh, uh, Eliezer had camels, and camels weren't domesticated until years later. That's the argument. Mm-hmm. What's the proof? What's the evidence? Well, let me just read a few few choice sentences here. These anachronisms are telling evidence that the Bible was written or edited long after the events it narrates and it's not always reliable as verifiable history. And who came up with this research? Said Noah Mizrahi, an Israeli biblical scholar. So that's what he says. Okay, what's the the proof? Two archaeologists in Tel Aviv University. Shocking. Uh, So they were digging up camel bones... And what did they find? The archaeologists Erez, Ben Yosef, and Lidar Sapirhen used radiocarbon dating to pinpoint the earliest known domesticated camels in Israel to the last third of the 10th century before the Common Era, which, i.e., 3,000 years ago. And I say, hey, if the latest we could find of domesticated camels right, is 3,000 years ago, and Abraham is about 3,800 years ago, so there's 800 years, and Domesticated camels could not have been. Uh, Abraham could not have had it. That they had found so. Yeah, that's right. That doesn't. Now mean. this is an article in the New York Times, okay, which is uh, allegedly, supposedly, um, supposed to be known for journalism and, and critique and, and But this this is like I, I read this and I showed it. I know everyone. I have a document you can Google. I got this today from the New York Times, right? You can Google it yourself, and I, I'll put it all over here if I want to look at it. This is the sloppiest argument I've ever seen. And this was published in the most prestigious yeah. newspaper, perhaps in the world, right? Probably, for sure, in America, right? You would say, the New York Times, Washington Post, or Wall Street Journal. Like, what, where is the prestige in journalism? And they write such a sloppy article with the weakest of, uh, of logical basis. 
That's the whole thing. There's, there's nothing else. You, you, you haven't missed anything in the article. We found bones of domesticated camels that are 3,000 years old. Hence, Genesis must have been written afterwards because it's not possible for any of them to exist earlier. That's the argument. Right? There's a huge hole in the argument, right? Just like if, if I go to the library here in Stella Link and I say, you know what, give me your oldest, give me the oldest copy of the New York Times. And it says, oh, we have one from March of 1952. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. must yeah. be. It must be. That's when they started. That's when they started. This is almost the opposite problem you usually have because usually the problem you're saying things are too old, right? Here you're saying something's not old enough. Mm-hmm. The problem with radio, uh, carbon dating is things are way too old. We have things that are older yeah. than the time. Of yeah, well, I'm saying this is just. That, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a more trickier. Like dinosaurs are more. Well, like, like, like dinosaurs, you're saying? But it yeah, could be I mean, 3,800 take or leave. I mean, it could have well been 3,800 years ago. Yeah, well, you're saying you're, you're you questioning know? the dating. I'm saying let's yeah. assume the dating is true. It may be true. It may be it's true. It's insane. Exactly. It's insane. And I, I, I think to me this was eye-opening, not because uh, the, the article itself, but rather that the editors and the researchers, and clearly everyone sees that the logic is very weak, but would still publish that. Yeah. And I think that, that that's because if you read that and say, oh, of course, it's anachronisms. Of course, it's of course it, it happened afterwards. Look, we have a document. We have we have a, we have a research done in the, in this area. And, and and you know, to me, that there's no there's, this is a nice insight as to you know how what I would argue as the other side is not is using fair you know fair play. Okay, so that's yes. Well, yeah, there's more, but this was this is February 10th, 2014. So it's just a couple months ago. Where were they? Where well, they found them? Somewhere in somewhere in Mesopotamia or in Israel or wherever. Uh, who knows where they found them? Somewhere over there. Somewhere in there. No, close Not to in Kentucky. Abraham. No. Oh, uh, probably. Well, Abraham traveled, so Abraham covered pretty much all of uh, all of uh, Mesopotamia. Okay. So let's uh, let's go back to our topics. What we're trying to do, we're trying to have an honest approach to. Um, you know, look at the evidence, so to speak. We want to know, we want to take the evidence, and we went through a lot of it last week, we're trying to go through more of it this week, and just to see what the Torah says, what the Torah claims, and how logically what we do with what we're presented. Uh, one thing that we have to start off with, even though we mentioned I think last week, we'll do it again, I think that if you, if you do not have a leap of faith, you cannot join uh, any other religion aside from Judaism. Every other religion is contingent on you accepting some sort of leap of faith, right? Mm-hmm. Muhammad, right? Uh, he tells you that he has a prophecy and hence the prophecy and a, uh, a list of instructions, laws, tenets, beliefs, right? You say, wait a minute, how do we know that God spoke to you? And he'll say, listen, you know, I'm telling you, I'm, yeah, I, but we have no other uh, other evidence. And similarly, every other religion is based on that premise that there's a certain leap of faith. And you know what? I don't think that the other religions reject this principle, that there has to be some sort of leap of faith. I think that they embrace it. You know, you have to believe. You have to have some measure of faith. We don't have to believe in a prophet. We don't have to believe in a prophet. You know, in... in Exodus, we find a very interesting statement. We find a lot. Moses is a very big character in the Torah. 
and f- from Exodus on, from the very first chapter in Exodus till the, till the end of the Torah, he's the main character. Right? Some may argue that he's the villain. Why? Because Moses is criticized more than any other individual in the Torah. Right? Moses is told, we're told to Moses, Moses, you have no faith in God, right? Moses is constantly, uh, we have Moses being undressed, so to speak, uh, when you have like these four, five girls that come to have a halachic claim against Moses, and they win. Like, it, it seems like embarrassing. But we see time again that Moses is the central figure and also uh, the figure that's criticized a lot, which is an interesting psychological assessment as to the Torah, while on one hand Moses is viewed very positively, but we don't have... Uh, we don't have characters in the Torah that are devoid of fault. But if you look at Exodus chapter 19, we have a statement. Behold, I come to you in the... This is right before the, the revelation at Sinai. Behold, I'm coming... Uh, God speaks to Moses. Behold, I'm coming, uh, coming to you in, in the thick of cloudness. So that the nation shall hear when I speak to you. And these words are critical. And also in you they will believe forever. Remember, we're talking about Moses. This is already after all the miracles of Egypt, after the plagues, after the splitting of the sea. The Torah is telling us that we would not believe in Moses if not for the fact that we heard God speak to him. Moses already has all these accolades under his belt. Right? We have the Exodus, we have the split in the sea, we have the, the plagues, everything. Right? We're pointing to something specific. Right? God is going to communicate with us. We're going to be privy to this, to this prophecy. We're going to hear God ourselves as described in plain ink in Exodus and once again in Deuteronomy when it repeats the story how the Jewish people all of them all the uh, whole ha'am the entire nation heard and saw this prophecy and that's why we believe in Moses that's why we believe in you forever why, why do we believe in Moses not because Moses told us not because Moses told us no not because, you know, Muhammad says, or Abraham says, anyone says, you believe in me. Moses says, believe in me. That's not why the Jews believed in him. Why do we believe in him? Because the entire nation heard what God spoke to him. The entire nation heard this and, and experienced this prophecy. So, in essence, we could say that we're, we're believing God. We're not believing Moses. Our, our, uh, our faith lies in, 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 in God not, in, in not in, in any prophet. Now, um, <coughs> You know, to rehash what we did last week, you know, if you look at every every religion, just very quickly, very briefly, if you look at every religion, every religion uh, is formed at the formation, at the nascent stage of the religion. It has some sort of revelation, has some sort of communication with God. Right? You have a revelation. God tells you to do X, right, or to develop a certain system of laws of X, Y, or Z. Only one nation, i.e., the Jewish nation, has a narrative of national revelation and miracles, right. We're the only ones that have, like we said, a, an experience where the, the entire nation is experiencing a revelation, the prophecy, but additionally, a, a narrative where the, where, where the nation as a whole experiences miracles. Right? It wasn't just one isolated event at the foot of the mountain. Rather, it was, it was, it was 40 years of perpetual miracles. Now, how do we know this is true? Because it's recorded in a book. And it was a recorded book that's contemporary, delivered by Moses to the very people that experienced it. 
that this port, this point cannot be uh, cannot be understated. Right? Moses himself, and the book says that Moses himself gave it to them. Right? Moses gave the book to the entire Jewish people and those people that heard it. It wasn't years later. It wasn't like the Christians where the earliest estimation is 60 years after Jesus is dead. We have the first documentation of these stories. It's contemporary. And uh, uh, the additional factor, uh, which is that this book is not just a book of narrative, it's a book that's weaved narrative and law. And the law is very is very rigid and very demanding. And the adoption of the document as a method of behaving is contingent you believing that, it, that, that, that it's from God. And we'll try to demonstrate this point a little further today. You would only ad- adopt this document as a guiding principle of how you should behave in your life if you were sure that it, you got it from God. So we'll look, examine a little bit more of the things the document in, 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 it requires us to do. I'll give you a second, Dave. Uh, and we'll see that if you had any doubts at the beginning of this uh, of, of, of this religion, if you had any doubts as to whether or not this thing was historical, was true, was real, was accurate, you would never adopt it. And in fact, we'll find also that assuming a author, uh, the author of the book was, of, was a human, there's lots of things that a human would never write. Lots of predictions that a, that a human would never make uh, and going on a limb to make such bold predictions. Yes, Dave? So what you are saying, in essence, is that the, the miracles supposedly done by J.C., were not written till sixty years yes, after yes, they Yes, yes, yes. It's not historical, right? It's not like hap- what happened at Sinai. Absolutely, right. So right. Moses himself that? wrote the document and delivered it to the pe- very people that experienced the day, it. The day, the day, the day of the. I'm sorry. Or whatever. I'm just saying it was done. It was whereas contemporary. This, one, contemporary, this exactly. is not chronicled to sixty, seventy years after the death of Jason. That's right. By people who never, who never met him, who never met him, right? right? Well, um, which part of the Torah? So there's, there's three, there's three, there's three, I'll just, this is a, more of a scholarly debate, uh, but I'll, I'll just quickly answer your question as you, answer, you asked it. Do we have the parts of the Torah um, up till the middle of Exodus, uh, which were uh, before, uh, before the Sinai experience? We have from the middle of Exodus till the, almost the end of the Torah, and we have the last eight verses of the Torah, right? The ninth to last verse of the Torah says that Moses died. So um, the Talmud has two opinions. Who wrote those last eight verses? Was it Joshua? Or was it Moses who wrote it bidema? Dema means with tears, right? Uh, that's the simplest understanding. There are those that want to have uh, the alternative understanding as to what bidema means. But those are the two options. What are the last two chapters called? Eight, eight verses. Eight verses, not chapters. Eight, verses. Eight, eight verses. If you open up any, any, any chumash, we all have a chumash. We all have, a, we all have the book. We all have the Pentateuch, as they say in what German. Is, the verses can you synopsize what they say oh it says Moses died and uh, it, it's kind of like a uh, I would say it's an obituary to Moses the greatest the ever there nobody will be his greatest uh, yeah and he was the torturous out of Egypt etc well would he have said that possible that God told him to write that well yes yes no no I'm saying uh, Howard we um, the entire Torah uh, it was we, we don't say uh, it was God wrote it we say Moses wrote it but he was dictated right. by God right so according to that it would be yes it ha- he wrote it before it happened but he was just dictating just like he writes lots of predictions you know Mo- well we'll see today hopefully we get to it today but we'll see the Torah clearly it's 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 written with there's no ambiguity to it 
uh, foretells the Jewish people coming back to Israel. It says it. We can read it. We, we have we have documentation. We'll hopefully, we get to it today. So yes, he's uh, the book, the Torah is also a book of many predictions, of many prophecies, uh, and in hindsight, we could see that a lot of them came true. Uh, all of them came true, I think. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe there, there are those we're still waiting out for, but not really, because the Torah doesn't make any explicit predictions of any sort of futuristic kind of reality. That's often relegated to the, uh, the, the, well, the other books the, of, the, no, of the Bible. his death would, would have been future. Well, yes. So, yeah, but I'm saying, but it, it's not crazy for the Torah to make predictions. The Torah makes lots of predictions. Yeah. So the fact that Moses wrote it, but Moses only wrote it uh, as a prediction of the future is not abnormal in the context of the, of the but Torah. If, but if Moses was humble, as humble as we think yeah, he was, why would he say I'm... Well, he, he, was, he wasn't saying. He was just writing down what God yeah, told him to write. I, I have a hard time thinking that it would it. even be in there. I'm, I'm leaning towards maybe Joshua wrote it. I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, to be honest, Dave, you don't really have a say in the matter. <laughs> it's the Talmud. It's not... It's well, the Talmud. But aren't there two different areas of, uh, of thought here? Yeah, what I'm saying there's there's a lot there, 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 each one of them is 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 established. I didn't mean there's a slight. By no, the way. you're not. You won't ever slight. Uh, I don't. Well, um, maybe you won't. I, you no, know. but I'm serious. No, none of us. I'm saying it's it's an argument for for but, but you know. Let's first finish the book before we give our perspectives. So yes, yeah, so the Talmud and Gittin gives two alternative uh, explanations. Did Moses write um, it incrementally as it happened, or did he write it all at the end? Mm-hmm. Right. Either way, there's no, there's no, there's no oh, debate. Well, that as he went along. well that's that incremental. So I mean, increment, incrementally, increments. Oh, 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 maybe he did it prophetically while he was in Sinai. That's not. Uh, that's not one of the options. That's not one of the options. Just remember, because it, it's not an option that he wrote it all at Sinai. No, absolutely not. It's not. Yeah, remember the what does the book say? The book tells uh, episodes that happened. There's the spies. Remember the spies. Uh-huh. The spies, right? Right. The spies that they went into Egypt and they, they went into Israel and they came back and they told they said negative things about Israel and it was a plague. Do you think that if you were reading that book, if you had gotten the document before it happened, you would just well, retrace those always, steps? That was always the confusion to me. Well, they like know. It was a book of the future. Like, now, when we, we say that, sound like it was a book of contemporary. That it was. Well, it was. Con- it was contemporary, which means it was written in the same generation. Not that it was written before the events happened. Mm-hmm. Well, the, okay, this See, is. I a, always thought it was written before the events happened. They got it, and I didn't. Understand. No, 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 no. That's a very good question. Very good question. I would tell you a little plug to look at rabbiwood.com. I have a class entitled "What the Jews Actually Received at Sinai." Because yes, it's a common confusion. They got the Torah. They got the written Torah. What do you mean? What are you a nutcase? If you have the Torah, the Torah is going to tell you what you're going to do, and then you just do it and get sacked for it. Right. Yeah, that's a good. That's a common question. But yeah, what did Jesus have got in Torah? I mean, we might cover it also in this in this series. Either way, uh, where were we? Lost track. Okay. Um, so that's basically uh, what we covered last week, and um, the idea of it being uh, unprecedented is something very good. Uh, something very uh, it should be very striking for us. The fact that our religion or any religion, the se- the second you see one one. Uh, way of uh, of starting the same thing, being totally different than the rest of the the rest of the religions, should wake us up. But also, we have to recognize that this is impo- it's impossible to falsify such a narrative uh, um, uh, with with such a with such um, uh, with the documentation of this book is impossible to falsify. Does the word religion occur in the Bible? Uh, not to my knowledge. Das uh, religion. I don't, um, I, 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 I don't know. 
religion. Oh, we're just using the vernacular. But God hates religion. We know that it's not about religion. It's about it's about life. It's about community and Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, religion is a, is a poor word. We're just using what the common vernacular. Either way, the fact that our religion was founded in a way completely different to the way any other religion was founded is something that's very striking. But the next thing is the prediction that the Torah makes about that should just make us just, our head, head explode. I'm reading from a verse, there's a verse in Deuteronomy, and uh, I'm going to quote it. I actually... Uh, is Deuteronomy right after Exodus? Uh, no, it's Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the last one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're, we're chapter, verse? chapter 4, verse 32. And I, as I encouraged everyone last week to read chapter 4 in its entirety, it's very, very crucial. You might inquire... The Torah is giving us a directive. Inquire about times long past. From the day that God created man on earth, from one end of the heaven to the other, has there, had, has there ever been anything like this great thing? Or has anything like it been heard? Has a people ever heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fires as you have heard and survived? And again, the Torah goes on. There's a few more verses that I just I didn't write the whole thing down. What the Torah is saying, very, very important here. We have two competing theories uh, or options as to the authorship of the Torah. We either It's either the way it was described to us. We have uh, the traditional perspective that God dictated to Moses as the book itself writes. you know, uh, Or it was of human authorship. It's a hoax of fabrication. And we have to try to make the logical assessment of what the Torah, what we find in the Torah, and say, is it logical, is it more reasonable that it was written by Moses as per the directive of God? Or does it make more sense that it was of human authorship and it's a hoax and it's a fabrication? What does this say? We have a verse here, two, uh, verses, uh, two verses in, in Deuteronomy, chapter 4, I think 32 and 33. The, guys, the, the, the author is saying like this, inquire about times long past. Ask around, ask your friends, ask your cousins. From the day that God created a man on earth, from one end of heaven to the other. Ask everywhere, right? And what, what should you ask? Has there ever been anything like this? Or has anything like this been heard? Did such a thing happen? Or was it even heard? Did someone even claim that this happened? Has a people ever heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire as you have heard and survived? Has it ever happened? Or has it ever been claimed to have happened? The Torah is making a prediction. And the Torah is telling us, not only will this never happen again, but no one will even claim that they've had this. All the religions, right? None of them will even have this kind of, this this format of a claim of God communicating to the entire nation. Now think about this. Let's assume for a second, let's assume for a second that the Torah is written by some human, either a human or a collection of humans, right? And we're trying to make the, the most elaborate hoax that no one will ever catch. Let's assume, right, that, that, that that's one of, the, one of the reasonable options. Would we make this argument, would we make this prediction that such a, a revelation to start a nation will never happen again? Think about it. If we perpetuated a myth, if we created a hoax, if we're the ones, us together here. We're the ones who are making up the story about this great event at Sinai and God community and the Moses and everyone was there and they saw the fire and they heard the sounds and just a crazy experience. We made that all up. We convinced everyone about it. 
clearly we know that it's possible to make up such a story. How then could we go then, and in the book itself that we're making up, and say that it'll never happen again? What do you mean? If it happened once, it can happen again. Clearly, if we're intelligent humans, and I want to stress this point, if the, if the Torah was not written by God, as, as, or Moses put the dictation of God, it was clearly written by someone intelligent. No one would argue uh, that the literary accomplishments of the Torah and the organizational structure of the Torah and the moral yeah. uh, systemization of the Torah is not remarkable. Right? So it's either written by God, oh, I said important, by Moses as part of the dictation of God, or by a human or a collection of humans that are very intelligent. So they were clearly not made predictions that could easily uh, prove the, uh, the, the falseness of their document. So we all made up the story, yet we're making the prediction that no one else would have claimed to make up that story. If we can make it up, anybody can make it up. If we can make it up, then someone else can make it up, and if someone else makes it up, or if there's even a claim, even a claim, not so much of a, so much a claim, just a claim. Have you ever heard of it? <laughs> just go around, let's ask the religions. Have you ever heard of it? Why does no one else make that claim? Well, the Torah predicts that no one else make that claim. What the Torah is really telling you is that this claim is impossible to falsify. In fact, if it would be, if it would be possible to falsify, somebody would have done it. And I am willing to go out on a limb, I is the author of the Torah, and say that no one will ever even claim to do it. And that alone proves that, that, th- that this document, this narrative, this story, cannot be of human authorship. If it would be, the intelligent human would never write that. Right? Because if it could be perpetrated, right, it could be repeated. From the fact that it cannot, from the fact that I am willing to make that argument, I'm willing to make that prediction. It should. It's a very, very compelling reason to say that this document was not written by humans. Mm-hmm. So this, so this is this is not just about the Torah. Why is God even interested in humans? That's, I mean, that's that's really the question. That was Einstein, by the way. Einstein's big hiccup with religion was well, not that God couldn't or that the cosmos just came uh, came around on their own. Rather, that why would this God, who's why would he meddle in the affairs of humans? That's a very very good question. Uh, and the answer is, in my opinion, of course, the answer is is that. All of it was for humans. All of us for humans. In fact, humans are the reason why all of the universe exists. Because humans have a unique blend of steels, or not steels, of, of, of realities. How so? Humans are comprised of both an animalistic instinct and a superior intelligence, what we maybe call that a soul. We're a mix. In fact, we're, we're such a tight mix, we're a dichotomy, we're, we're oxymorons. In fact, some humans are even just morons. But uh, I've said that joke to somebody, you guys you still laugh at it, I've said it a few times. Um, so, a human by definition is conflicted, right? Humans are the only ones that are capable of doing things which are against their instinct. Right? We call that free will. What God sought in creating the universe was not just all the animals, because the animals are just following instinct. They're pre-programmed and they can't change. They can't do things which are counter-instinctual. What God did seek was to create an, a human who is half beast, half angel, right? Half intelligence, half instinct, right? Body, soul. And therefore, 
conflicted, capable of choosing one or the other, choosing God, rejecting God. And God will enable us, will give us the tools to try to make the right choices. I'll get to you in a second hand. God is going to give us the opportunity to make the right choices. We're we're lost at sea. If we just don't do anything, well then we'll just be no different than animals. Right? We have to work. It's like a treadmill, you know. You, if you don't, if you just stop and say, um, you know, I'll just take a take a take a few hours, you're off the treadmill. You have to just to just to stay at status quo. You have to be working. So the Torah, we say, the Torah is God's. The Torah is God's a tool that He's giving us to uh, to accomplish our, our 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 feet. Now, if you ask, why does God want that? That's the next question. Why can't he just make it appear and give it to us? Why does God not... Um, because we said one of the interpretations is that Moses wrote it. Oh, you're asking specifically about the eight verses or about the whole Torah? Yeah, the whole Torah. Yeah. Why did Moses say, why let there be well, Torah, and there it yeah. is. Yeah. Why but, re- here? Uh, but remember, that's, that's, <laughs> what the claim, that's what the claim of all the other religions are. Right. Right. And if Moses just said, God gave it to me, well, then we would then be no different than the Mormons. The Mormons claim but that... Not her but that's not the question. I think the question, well, the question is, yeah. why didn't God just give it directly and bypass using somebody like Moses, right? And to write is it. that what you're asking? Because, because the people wouldn't believe No, 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 no. no, no. Yeah, but he can give yeah. the Torah right in front of the people like, like he gave the tablets. So you want... Why did he write it? You want Moses... You want Moses... No Moses. No Moses. Yeah, why... Well, let's let's, let's, let's put the question straight here. What would be the scenario? Moses finds something? No, the Torah appears amongst us and God says, here's the Torah, folks. Who God says to who? To the whole people. Without using Moses as the... the, as the, as the what? As the shepherd? Yeah, as the vehicle. No, no, no. That's what they're saying. Why does he that, That's what he's saying. That's what no, saying. but Moses no, no wrote I, what God told him to write. I think it's a legitimate question. I think that the people, remember, the people weren't capable of, back to Exodus, people weren't capable of hearing God, you know? God, the prophecy the Jewish people had at Sinai was something that was very uh, traumatizing for the Jews. Uh, in fact, the Jews said, we don't want to hear from God anymore. And the Talmud says that the Jewish people, they were, like, they were dying and they were being revived, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, they were incapable of it. Um, couldn't you say Yehi Torah and they could die and come Well, the Torah, the Torah was there. Uh, the, to- the Torah Torah was there. The, to- the, the, the Talmud says the Torah is a blueprint for the world. You know, yes. the Torah is going to map out what the world is going to be. Uh, the Torah, uh, God looked into the Torah and created the world. It's not that the Torah was an invention. In fact, the world is the invention. The Torah has, has been around forever. God, Torah is just God's will. God wants to give the Torah to us, and He did indeed give us a lot of it. In fact, you know, um, uh, uh, the Torah says that He gave the first two commandments of the of the, of the Torah, uh, of, of the Ten Commandments, to the Jewish people. To everybody, right? It was done. Everyone, right? Everyone, yeah. Why, why, why did he stop at two? Well, the Jewish people said no more. No more. Yeah. Jewish people said no more. Well, why stop? Why not stop at one? Why not stop at Allah? Well, yeah, it means you, if if the Jews can't handle it, which they clear, clearly couldn't handle it, then uh, then uh, then 
either don't give them to them at all. But yes, like you said, there is some sort of benefit for the tired Jewish people to hear it from God and to have this experience. And we see, you know, we believe in Moses and our religion is founded on, on this natural revelation. Mm-hmm. So why two? Why not just one? So uh, one of the commentaries, the Marsha, in, uh, I think it's the end of the tractate, Makros, he says that the first two of the Ten Commandments are a microcosm of all of Torah. Oh. Right? I am God. I'm the Lord your God. Right? Don't believe in any other gods. That really encompasses everything. That really encompasses everything. So yes, God wanted the entire Jewish people to hear all of the Torah from him and him himself. They couldn't handle it. But still, God wanted at least that because this is the core of everything. All the positive commandments are included in I am the Lord your God. Right? It, which means um, you're doing something because God told you to do it. All the negative commandments you're refraining to do from something because that is rejecting God. So in essence, all of Torah really is included in the first two, and those first two Jewish people did hear from, from God himself. I think that, that you know, we think of, of prophecy as just being something you just download. It, it's not. You know? It's a certain level, certain stature that Moses reached. The Jewish people only artificially reached it. They couldn't handle it. So yes, uh, perhaps in the ideal sense, you know, Adam, Adam lived in utopia. Yeah, perhaps one of our more Melitz is God had been using Moses for quite some time as a prophet to talk to Pharaoh, to talk to others. Um, so it was a long-standing practice to use humans as intermediaries. He spoke to Abraham, spoke to Isaac, spoke to Jacob. So uh, perhaps this is just another episode in this ongoing. No, but no, but 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 Melitz was was asking because the Torah itself is the specific instructions. So the fa- yeah, but but. Yeah, but the, with the term intermediary, it's a very dangerous term. I don't like that term. Because uh, we don't need an intermediary between us and God. We were comparing it to the other religions. Like yeah. Muhammad was uh, a prophet, and so and so was a prophet. So we were trying to differentiate Judaism from the other religions precisely by the fact that we don't have that intermediary. That's, that we don't and have that's, that prophet. Well, well, we don't have the prophet. We do have a prophet. We don't have a prophet that we believe in him on his word alone. Right. I remember we had a verse. Uh, I'll get to you in a second. Right. Sorry, um, I'll get to you in a second. We have, yeah, uh, um, we have the verse that I mentioned earlier. That despite the fact that Moses did all those wonderful things in Egypt, the Torah still tells us at, uh, after the revelation, right? The Jewish people' relationship with Moses totally changed. Well, he was a, he was clearly a miracle worker of some sorts. He clearly he split the sea, right? Mm-hmm. He, he he you know he turned the, the water and, and he predicted it, right? But but the, sure. us believing in Moses for eternity was only because we were there. We experienced God taught whatever how we had that. It's a different question. It was artificial. That's why the Jews couldn't handle it. So the Jews did hear uh, most uh, the two core 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 elements of of all the Judaism from God, but they also uh, experienced Moses's. Um, uh, prophecy. Moses is now a verified prophet. Moses tells us that Abraham is a prophet. That's how we know Abraham is a prophet. I mentioned this last week. Mm-hmm. Moses yeah. is the father yeah. of all prophets. We only believe that Abraham was a prophet because Moses told us. And how do we know that Moses himself is a prophet? That we know for sure. That there's no doubt. That was national experience on a national level. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, you said that the only two things that the people, the nation heard God speaking where the two first, first two, yes. Yeah. So, how do we know that what Moshe wrote came from the Torah? 
came from Hashem if we didn't hear it. We didn't see it. Okay, so let's do a question know? like this. Do you um do you have a general physician? Uh, anyone here has uh, has ever gone to general physician? Of course. Yes, yeah. everyone has, right? Yeah. Second opinion. Well, let me finish my point. Let me finish my point. <laughs> okay. And uh, uh, has it, uh, or has anyone gone to a lawyer? No. No. Okay. Good. Well, that's good. <laughs> but you go to a professional, right? And if you're if you're a real skeptic, what do you say? Show me your credentials. Oh. Show me your credentials. I want to see your diploma. I want to see your college transcript, right? I want to see that you're really a doctor. You went to medicine, you know what you're doing, right? That's a legitimate thing for most people. Most people probably won't do it, but a real skeptic will say, listen, how do I know that you're really a doctor? You'll see it on the wall. <laughs> that's right. why they you'll, put them up there. Right, you have to ask. Okay, but that, that's a legitimate response. You'll, yeah. you'll, like, do you ever check to see if it's a forgery? You can print those things for about, it takes me uh, three minutes, you can print one uh, yeah. from any university that you get to print you. But if you're, if you're a serious skeptic, right? You'll do some research. You'll find that this person didn't feed the daughter medical school. And okay, now, now, I, now you're my doctor. Okay. A month later, you need to go back to him. You going to ask to go through the C's credentials again? No. Right. Will you? No, you won't. Moses, Moses' credentials as a prophet were displayed on a, the grandest scale for everyone to see. In, in, in an episode, an experience that the Jewish people, that, that is the seared the Jewish people's collective consciousness forever. Right? We know Moses is a prophet. When Moses tells us, Moses didn't give us a little bit uh, of Torah, to, uh, well, he, that's not technically true, but the Torah Moses gave afterwards. We had no doubt, we believe him forever. Right? When Moses says something, he's a verified prophet. Right? We saw his credentials, they were on display for everyone, we believe in him forever. We don't need, and we're not capable. We're not capable of, of being there involved. And Moses went up to the heaven, okay? He, dis, he disappeared, okay? We're at the mountain. He's gone. He hasn't come back down. And he didn't get any food with him or any water. That we know for sure. People there, the story says it multiple times in the Torah. What he did, what he consumed, we have no idea, right? Uh, but, you know, we know that he's a prophet. We, that's for sure. And uh, once he's been verified, well, then he's been verified. It's like uh, on Twitter, once you get the little, ver- right? Does anyone get unverified? I don't know. Yes, Anne. About the Torah. Hashem made the Torah first before he made the world. He used the Torah as the blueprint. Okay. So why did he make the Torah? Did he also make the Torah? For to say- he made the world because he wanted to put us in it. Did he make the Torah because he was going to make the world and put us in it? Did he make the Torah for us? Or did he need a Torah even if he wasn't going to make the universe and us? That's a good philosophical question. <laughs> okay, so um, I'll, I'll direct you to the Talmud, Chate Shabbos. Wait a minute. Uh, it's, I believe, on page uh, it's 87b, about oh, 63% of the way down. Ah, less than that, 58% of the way down, <laughs> right? And the Talmud has this whole discussion as to the origins of the Torah. Um, I, if I didn't see this Talmud, I would probably say, listen, the Torah is not something that God 
did. It's just a reality. It's God's mind. And just like God's mind can't be limited to any time and space. And when did it start? When was it written? When, right? It's, you know, it's just God's, if it's God's intelligence, well, then God's intelligence doesn't have a starting point and an end point. But this Talmud does seem to put a certain starting point. And it does have this whole debate. Is this, is this a document for humans at all or not? And in fact, the, to- yeah, the, the narrative, the, the, narr- the, the narrative fire, is fire, that yeah. Moses comes up to heaven and the angels say, what the heck no, is this human? Yeah. Or the words that they use. What is this uh, Yulut? I think they use yeah, Yulut Isha. What is, right? What's he doing amongst us? And God says to Moses, listen, you've got to respond to them. You know? So Moses has to prove that this document belongs in the hands of, of, yeah, of humans. Yeah. And he does. But that's not the question because by, that, by the time the angels are objecting, the universe has already been around for a long time. Why did, it, why did the Torah come into being and it was there all that time before it was given to humans? But Ann, what would, what would he, wait humans? a minute, Ann. Man, that's kind of illogical. Why would he make a Torah for nothing? That's the question. Well, okay. okay. I, I, he knows okay. I want to ground this discussion a little bit because I, I think that um, unless we know for sure why God does something, unless he tells us we or the know. Torah, we don't really know why God. Now, I, I think it's an important I think it's important uh, discussion, and I think that there's another element I think that we could use. You know, we have Adam. You know, Adam, mm-hmm. we view Adam philosophically Did as... Did Adam have the Torah first? That's a very good question. Did Adam have a Torah? And the answer is a resounding yes. No, no, it wasn't written. Well, they had, it existed, he had but one he didn't. Mitzvah. Maybe it and, was in that one mitzvah. But it wasn't. What written. you find is a philosophical uh, insight as Adam being the collective entity of all of humanity, similar to all of humanity being granted or being uh, being uh, instructed with responsibilities. Yet not giving tools, and I once would direct you once again to the website. I was was I was speaking in CBS, yeah. not not CBS, uh, CBE, Congregation Beth L, and someone asked me this question. It was a lovely dynamite question. How come Adam didn't have Torah, and how could Adam possibly have succeeded without Torah? And if we say Torah is the only tool that we can use to maintain clarity in our mission. We're, in, we're, we're, we're living in such a confusing world. The world world in Hebrew is olam, which is uh, the same words as he'elem, which is uh, uh, cloudiness or, or, or concealment. Because, because this world is about distortion. Right? We're, we're oxymorons, right? We're dichotomies. We're opposites. We're two sides, the opposite sides of the magnets that were forced together and just kept like that, our body and soul, right? Our moral enemies that are just going to be uh, united together for, for 70, 80, 90 years, right? The, the tool that we're going to use to find clarity is the Torah. Adam didn't have that. How did he possibly stand a chance? Uh, well, well, that's did. I didn't say that. I said Adam didn't have it. And well, if, if Adam, Adam didn't have it, if Adam doesn't sin, and Noah? we huh? And Noah? Did he have? Oh, I don't know about Noah, but uh, to say that Abraham didn't have the Torah—that's that's a stretch because. Oh, I have so I much mean, to say. Yeah, about I mean, this. Wait a minute! But Susan <laughs> said it wasn't written yet. It wasn't written. So how did? But but the how con- did Abraham wrote it? Okay, 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 okay. The Torah, okay, okay, just, the Torah was just a concept. It was you not know, written then. God talked to Abraham, though, right? right? Yeah. So the no the uh, okay Dave's concept. Dave's question of the Torah being uh, being not written but just a concept. Yeah. Uh, I'm not so not so sure that that's true because. 
the okay, Torah may doesn't, have had. Wait a second. If Adam doesn't sin, right? Yeah. At, we go to Shabbos. We're done. Yeah. There's no yeah. Torah. There's a- no nothing. There's no. A- yes. So Adam was placed in a situation where he could have succeeded without Torah. Right. We can't succeed without because Torah. Of the now, uh, the 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 idea of Torah, uh, uh, the Torah um, that we have, is a earthly uh, uh, representation of God's will. Because it, you know, it talks about my animal killing your animal. You know, that's a very physical, material manifestation of God's will. Exactly. You know, um, my Nachmanides and his introduction to the Torah, which I would highly, highly recommend for this discussion. Highly recommend it if you can find the English copy or if you could break your teeth or Google Translate. Nachmanides' uh, uh, introduction to Torah. So he says that if you take a look at the letters of the Torah, the first letter is Bereshis Bara, Elohim. He says, depending on where you put the brace in the letters, you can have different words. So he, what he's trying to say is that the Torah that existed before the world was created is the same Torah, but just different breaks between the letters. So it's the same reality, just a different manifestation. So all the same letters, different manifestation than how we actually, or how it's actually uh, perceived, consumed. Huh? Black brown, white fire, what about that? What about it? What does that mean? The, the, the Talmud says, The Torah The Torah is given with black fire on top of white fire. I have no idea what that even means. I have no idea, but you're right. It's a, it's a. I think it's a Vidarim. <laughs> no, it's a, where is it? Uh, not with ink on paper, but it's I'm having the um, divine passion. Uh, yeah, I don't know what that means. It's true. I. It's a good question. Okay, okay so let's back to let's back get back the to our point. The Torah that we have now is a physical manifestation versus the no, Torah it's not a physical manifestation. Abraham it's a document written by Moses as per the di- di- dictation of God, and it's the same. Torah yeah. that existed before the world, but a different manifestation, different realm, different a, a, a different. So you said a different, earthly manifestation. I said earthly manifestation is a good word. Yes, okay. that's the yes. one that we have now. Okay. Earthly okay. manifestation. Earthly manifestation. Exactly. Remember, the Torah is very talking to humans, earthly. so it's being it's in human it's in human language. But this same Torah uh, ha, uh, existed in a different realm. I don't want to get too uh, bogged down by this because it's really not. We're t- like the the discussion that we're talking about the Torah in a different realm is not. In our realm, we're in this realm. You know, we have to deal with uh, what humans can perceive. I think that's 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 important. And the Torah is written in a language that we can understand, in words that we can understand. You know, uh, interestingly, the Torah makes a lot of predictions, but all the predictions of the Torah are falsifiable. Right? What does the Torah say about what happens after you die? Anyone else? Say it louder. It doesn't say a thing about about that. You know why? You know why? Because we can make. I can make up. If I was a human author, I can make up whatever I want. Because there ain't no record of anyone coming back and telling us what it was like. Well, you have some people now Unlike today on the internet. On, on the internet, you could say uh, uh, you could Google uh, near death experiences, and there's lots of uh, documentation of people that came back and had. Speaker a couple months ago. That's right, Rabbi Mizrahi. I don't do that kind of shtick, right? Or I'm not shtick, but I—it's I, I, not something that we could. The Torah specifically did not include any any, any prediction of what could, what's happening in other worlds. Why? Because that's that that's false. That, that's not falsifiable. You can never you can never disprove that, right? The Torah makes lots of predictions that are here on this world on planet Earth, right? With normal humans, right? Us, right? regular humans, regular. Uh, 
are we Homo sapiens? No, we're like advanced Homo sapiens, oh, right? Homo we're Homo sapiens. Okay, regular Homo sapiens. All predictions are, are falsifiable, which means they could be proven wrong. Okay. And they're not proven wrong, and that means they're right. Uh, they're well, no, they're, they're, they're just not, not being proven wrong. It's not necessarily proof that you're right. That's, okay, uh, you're right. Right? Remember, we're trying to stick to logic here, right? Yeah. So yes, the fact that none of them were proven wrong is nice, uh, but that doesn't alone prove it. So what we're going to try to do is examine some of the predictions of the Torah, try back to our, our subject at hand, Gosh. and uh, and let's see how far we can get here. Okay, so we, we have the first prediction. I think it's a very uh, striking prediction. We have a prediction of uh, a narrative not to be repeated or to be claimed. And if a human wrote that, if a human fabricated it, hence a human knew that it was possible to be fabricated, they would never make a prediction, it would never happen again, because that's a contradiction in terms. So this is something very, very... Uh, um, now, I, I want to say another point, and I think this, this, this raises the ante, so to speak. There's only two options, Right? Either the Torah was written in, uh, by Moses' presentation of God, basically the traditional perspective that we have, or it was written by, uh, by humans, by, by one human, by multiple humans, right? by the J-E, uh, J-E-D-P, right? uh, uh, the, uh, the documentary hypothesis, right? all the different interpretations. Right? But, uh, but uh, the general principles is that there's, it's, it's one, one, of the, one or two. Now, for us to try to get evidence one way or the other, we don't need to know the entire Torah or the entire theories. Right? This is an important point, I think, and it does raise the bar. If we could disprove any line of the Torah, we conclusively disprove a line of the Torah, then we know it's not written by God, because by definition, God's not making any mistakes. Right? If there's any mistakes in the Torah, any mistakes in the Torah, well, then we know for sure, we, that's all we need to know to prove that the Torah is a bunch of baloney. Right? Apollonius is a very significant document, but it's written by man. If it's written by man, it doesn't carry any weight. Right? If it's written by man, it's not binding. It shouldn't be binding, right? So it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's objective, right? Or it's subjective, sorry. If, if it's written by man, it's subjective. So it might be nice, but, but, but it might be something that's very um, meaningful for us because it's, it's maybe our religion, or it's, it's what our people have, but it's not binding, right? If we know for sure, if we, but if we, all we need to do is disprove one line of the Torah. Right? That's all we need to do. And I think that we could safely say that the other side is true as well. If we could prove the divinity, right, or uh, of even one line of the Torah, well then, <laughs> if one line is divine, well then, oh, no likely the whole thing's divine, right? Then we could, we could accept the traditional perspective, easier. huh? The other way. Well, that way for sure easier. It's easier to disprove. <laughs> but remember, the whole, the, the rationale for not accepting the Torah as being divine authorship is because that's, not, that's unreasonable. But the second you can prove divine authorship of any part, well, then it's not unreasonable anymore, so it's much easier to accept the entire thing. That's my point. Okay. So we have this first prediction, and I think it's a very strong prediction. I think the, the, the evidence or the logic is very compelling. Let's move on to the next one. Let's find Leviticus. Uh, this is something so... such a, It's not really a prediction, but it's more an instruction. And the Torah's instruction, let's try to paint this picture of the human who's making up a religion, and very, very intelligent, like we said, very intelligent, very sophisticated, very organized, right? And he's going to give us a, a law, and I'm going to read it to you. Okay. Six years you shall sow your field. And six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its produce. 
But in the seventh year, a Sabbath of solemn rest, it shall be for the land. Your field you shall not sow, and your vineyard you shall not prune, which grows by itself you should not reap, and the grapes your vine you shall not gather. This is from Leviticus chapter 25. This is what's known as the laws of Shemitah. 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 Okay, now, uh, what is Shemitah? Shemitah means that every seventh year, just like every seven days we have the Shabbat, we have every seven years we have the Shabbat as well, that, as, uh, that, uh, that a, an entire year the land lies fallow. No plowing, no planting, no harvesting for an entire year, every seven. And I'll tell you guys something cool. In a month, less than a month, we have Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the new Jewish year. And next year is the Shemitah year in Israel. And the ants actually practiced today, right? In today's time, it's practiced in Israel. And it works. Well, okay, so now, you'll say, wait a minute, Rabbi, you know, it's very, very, very important to give the land some time off. And in fact, this is a practice that has been widely adopted by farmers and agricultural professionals across the world. Right? It's very important for the land to take a year off. So what's the big deal that the Jews take a year off? Well, I'll tell you, if you are really smart... You would say, listen, I have all this land, and it's very important for the land to rest every seven years. So every seven years, I'll do a rotation. I'll divide my field into seven. And one year this year, this, 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 this parcel's off, and then the next parcel, and rotates. That way, I always have food. The Torah says, every seven years, everyone takes a year off. Yeah, nothing, right? Everyone takes a year off. Everyone takes a year off. And this is widely practiced, was widely practiced, still is practiced today. Now... Most of us are not in agriculture. Most of us. And even, the, even when they have the um, jobs reports, it's always non-farm payrolls. It's always non-NFPs, <laughs> non-farm payrolls. Right? We don't think of, of, of people who work in farms being so crucial to, uh, to uh, you know, our sustenance. But as we will all well know, We'd be in trouble with that in ancient civilizations, even 100 years ago, 90% of the people survived in agriculture. Yeah. Agriculture was if you, what you fed, what, what you grew, and what you gathered, you ate. The Torah is commanding everyone. It's not just uh, uh, Levites should take a year off, or uh, you know, people. It's, it's all alphabetical. Everyone, everything's takes a year off. Sab- a Sabbath. This is the year you don't work. What are you going to eat? What are you going to eat? And not only one year, but two, three years. We'll get to that in a second. But what are you going to eat? How are you going to survive? What's this author thinking? He wants to kill out the entire uh, the entire following. What's this human author trying to, to, to come up with? How is he possibly going to justify this to his, to his followers? Does it make sense? It's counterintuitive. It seems like it's dangerous and silly. Let's continue what it says a little bit later on in that same very chapter, chapter Levitic- Leviticus, uh, Rabbi, chapter twenty-five. Yes. When you said seven years, does every, let's suppose that I plant this year. Yeah. My seven years is not next year. It's seven oh, years from today. No, no, no. It's seven years from when the Jews get into Israel. So, so seven no years when ongoing. You planted everybody. It's the same year, exactly. So same. 2008, mm-hmm. 2015, 2022, 2029. It's the same year. Mm-hmm. You know? Everybody. And in Israel, if you actually, we lived in Israel 2008, you know? It dominates, you know? All the, everything is imported. Everything's imported, and or or it's, it's imported from uh, from outside of Israel, or everyone has to deal with this. You know, Israel is now six million Jews in Israel, it's an enormous Jewish population, and they all observe the Shemitah. 
And you know what? Even the secular Jews observe the Shemitah. How so? Because if you're a farmer, right, you're a farmer. Who do you sell your farm? You don't sell it in grocery stores. You sell it to the companies that use it to produce their food. And let's say, you know, 40% of, of, of the society is observant and eats only kosher food. But the companies all have to support those 40%. It's a, it's a significant minority, right? An ever-growing minority. So you can't sell your produce your, to any. You have to sell to, you know, it's a big deal, by the way. It's very important. In the United States, a lot of Israeli farmers or some, some Israeli farmers that don't observe the Shemitah, they ship it to the United States. Now, if you go to Belden's and you go to, or HEB or anyone, and you see Israeli cucumbers next year, by total, you're not allowed to consume them. Why? Because this was this this was fruit that was worked upon in, in, in Shemitah. Yes. Uh, I thought I read somewhere that during this year, yeah, Jews would traditionally sell off their lands to Christians and Muslims the same way in which we would sell our property, like right before Pesach. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's what's called the Heter Mechira, and this was invented right. in nineteen nineteen thirties. Okay. It was a it was a workaround, a loophole, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, because uh, the. Uh, it's a whole discussion as to why and, they developed this loophole, and some people still rely on this loophole today. Right. And, uh, because, is, but the, the, the problem is, the problem to you sell uh, the land in Israel to non-Jews. That's what uh, about it's the a different problem. Of that too. I mean, that's yeah. Well, yes. Well, listen, we're we're pragmatic. You know, uh, uh, if you look about about what uh, what uh, um, um, uh, Rabbi Judah the Prince did with the Mishnah, right? The Mishnah was also a loophole. It was also, but it was a pragmatic approach. Well, what Hillel did with Prusbal, it's also very pragmatic. Uh, that being said, so what, what continues? I'm sorry, I'll get to you in a second here. Continues Leviticus. This is the book. And if you will say, and if you'll say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? Hey, geez, uh, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not planting, we're not sowing, we're not harvesting, nothing, we're not, nothing, we're not doing anything. What are we going to eat? This is all we have to eat. We kind of, we, we don't have like a technology sector no and other industries. And this is what we stuff, eat. Yeah. Well, right. they had methods of conserving food. That's important. When did they okay. first observe the Shemitah? Yeah, but how about They fruit? observed the Shemitah okay. when they got into Israel. Joshua. What? They got into Israel. Like they, they, right, well, yeah. Uh, when Joshua takes them into Israel, it's important to note that during the 14 years of conquest, they did not observe the Shemitah. But after the first 14 years of conquest, when there's a relative uh, calm, they observed the Shemitah. You know, documented, and they still do today. And if you will say... What shall we eat in the seventh year? Mm-hmm. What are we going to eat? Behold, we may not plant nor gather our produce. That's a very legitimate question. I will command my blessing upon you in the sixth year, and it will bring forth produce for three years. Six, seven, and beginning of eight, because the eighth doesn't kick until later. For three years, and you will plant in the eighth year and eat the old produce until the ninth, until her, until until the eighth, uh, the produce of the eighth day comes in. You will eat the old produce. Think about that. If you were a rational, rational, I made up a word, rationable. I've been saying it for years. It's half rational, half reasonable. Um, if you were a rational uh, individual, and we were authoring a document, and we were trying to create this hope that it's written by God, right, and we make predictions. We would we have the uh, yeah. I, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, the he was thinking it was the chutzpah. Say it. Okay, yeah, well, yeah. do uh, the temerity. Thank you. Temerity, temerity to say to make up 
that there's going to be th- the produce for three years in the sixth year. Not only that, who would follow it? Well, yeah, well, uh, uh, the, uh, we assume that the followers believe it came from God. That's the point. Right, but that's the point. But Who would follow it otherwise? And this is something which is uh, easily falsifiable. Now, now, we have no, I, I, I can't say, listen, we have documentation of, them, of, of harvest. We don't have that data. I don't know what happens. We, we, we don't know what the data actually shows. But we do know the Torah makes this uh, law. Huh? Well, yes, and we, 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 we know that we have the obligation of the Jewish people observing all the laws uh, dating back uh, uh, for thousands, millennia. But think, of, think about the psychology of it. Think about the authors, the human authors. Would they write that? Right. They wouldn't dare. No, they wouldn't dare. Would right. Exactly. To it. Exactly. They would be, they, they, people would say, you're nuts. I'm not right. going to do that. If, if you, ha- if you wrote, wrote the hoax and you intended it for, mm. for it to be uh, uh, perpetuated, you would never write something like this. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. Now, um, additionally, uh, I think Mantra uh, or someone else mentioned that uh, in, this same, in this same chapter in Leviticus, it mentions that every seven cycles of seven, we have what's called a yovel, a jubilee. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that mean? What's, what happens on that, seven, that 50th year? So you have back-to-back years of, of, uh, of, of the landline fallow. Back-to-back years. But now it has to go for four years. Exactly. Exactly. So you have uh, year 49... Which is uh, well, year 7, 14, 21, 28, 35, mm-hmm. 42, 49. Mm-hmm. This is the seven cycles of seven. You have 49 and 50, two years back to back, uh, back to back. There's no, there's no time in between. Two years off. That's what the Torah says. Would a human author make this requirement and make the promise that they can't possibly fulfill? And the Torah is still true today, and the Torah is still observed observe today, and the Torah was never rejected by by by, by any one of these th- uh, the, these laws being uh, rejected as being nonsense or being uh, or being clearly uh, uh, clearly not divine. We have time for another one. Yeah, much time if you want. Much time. Well, I, no, I don't. I don't do that because people aren't comfortable leaving late, and they say, you know what, I'm not going to come at all because then I have to leave. I have to leave at eight forty. And if and if and and then someone say you know what I'll just wrap over good old nine ten I'm, and I don't want to walk out on it. But him. you're recording, so people can go to your website and listen to this. That's right. So whoever wants to leave, that's it. Um, right there. Please don't 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 feel uncomfortable. It's eight thirty six. So on the fiftieth um, year, on the fiftieth year you have back to back years of no plowing your field, of no sowing, of no planting, of no harvesting, nothing, nothing. Your land lies fallow, empty. Right? Anyone, you can't even guard stuff. You can't say, I'll take all the stuff and hide it in my house. Whatever it does grow. You have to leave it out there. Right? So when is the 50th year? So the 50th year? What do you mean? When is it? Oh, today. Jubilee? So that's important to, that's important to mention. We don't have that. Yeah, the jubilee, oh, we don't have that? No, the jubilee, it's, it's contingent on, on there being a temple. Oh. So if there's no temple, there's no jubilee. But the Shemitah mm-hmm. still is not not contingent yeah. on that, so therefore it's, it's still it's relevant relevant to us today. So please, if anyone has a, 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 to leave, we'll just you know I I, I feel I don't you I don't like huh. You got another one. I have plenty more. I have I have, I have more. We'll push off the next week. I don't have to prepare for another week. <laughs> okay, uh, let's move right along. Exodus chapter thirty four. 
listen to this. Exodus chapter 34. Another requirement of the Torah. Shalosh pa'amim bashana yira'eh kol z'churchaz p'nesham okrecha. Which means in English. Can I ask a question? Yes, sure. I'm sorry. Sure. I did not write down what, what law in Leviticus this was about the Shemitah. 25, chapter 25. Read it. Did, get a book. Chapter 25. Okay, got it. Exodus chapter 34. Three times in the year all your men shall appear before the Lord your God, the God of Israel. I will throw out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither shall, shall any man desire your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times during the year. So, And it goes on to explain that this is the holiday of Sukkot, the holiday of Pas- Pesach, Passover, and the holiday of Shavuot, of uh, Shavuos. Right? What, what's this law? What does law entail? Every physically capable man who live, with some exceptions, but uh, who healthy man who lives in Israel, and even those that are living in the diaspora, makes a pilgrimage and a trek to Jerusalem. And this was a time of year where the Jewish people get together and they would have communal study and communal learning and communal inspiration. And it was a time to unite all the people from all across Israel and the uh, the eastern bank of the Jordan and even as far uh, further for, uh, further east. Now, this is a requirement. This is a law. Right? This is not just a, a nice vacation that's optional. Right? This is a law. Every healthy man had to do it. If you didn't do it, you have to make it up. Right? And you, you, you know, if, you're, if you're sick, obviously, then, you, then you're exempt. But otherwise, you have to go. Now, how long is this trip? So the Talmud tells us that it, some people took up to two weeks each way. A big deal. This was a big deal. And tell me the descriptions of what it was like to go up to what's it all. And then there was, you know, they would never have any direction. There was never a sign, signpost to uh, Jerusalem, you know, 86 kilometers. This is, this is during the temple. During the temple. That's when there's a temple. Right? There, okay. okay. uh, there was no signs that said um, Jerusalem, uh, 86 <laughs> kilometers. Right? Why? Because they wanted people to always ask, where's Jerusalem? Where's Jerusalem? And there was like throngs of people all just heading uh, to, to Jerusalem. And there's certain requirements. Every farmer in Israel uh, uh, has uh, requirements that they have to bring. There's Meiser Shani, Meiser Ani. They have different tithes, different uh, uh, um, sacrifices that need to bring. They would always do that over these three pilgrimages. Now, let's assume that we lived in Israel during the time of the Temple, and we actually have um, a secular documentation of this, of this pilgrimage. We have Josephus writes about it. Uh, and... Uh, you have a family and uh, 17 kids, right? Baruch Hashem, beautiful family. Uh, and oh my 16 boys and a girl. <laughs> this is a hypothetical. You, all adult all men there. had to go. Now, women went as well sometimes, right? If you look at the book of Samuel, the book of Samuel starts off with a narrative of the pilgrimage. Uh-huh. Of Hannah, exactly. And it's a narrative of the pilgrimage. That's what it starts off with. And she was, Hannah was presented with an option to join or not to join. So it was optional for women. It was obligatory for men. Like it says, the verse says, every man calls, right? Uh, all your men shall appear. So let's say you have this nice family. You have two options. Right? Either you bring your family along or you leave them there for maybe up to a month. Right? Those were, your, those were basically your options. Now, what happens? Jewish people, they get to Israel and we know there were 31 different tribes that were in Israel. 
And there was a state of constant war. You mean non-Jewish tribes? Non-Jewish tribes, yeah. The, yeah Non-Jewish tribes, sorry. Uh, like non-Jewish... Uh, like indigenous, well, not really. Oh, I guess indigenous. Different kinds of Canaanites. Well, Canaanites or, or the seven, the seven nations, but that different groups. There were, there were how many? Thirty-one, and this is uh, I think from the verse, a verse in uh, the book of Kings, I think it is. Or the book, of, it might be the book of Judges. I apologize. And the last one of them was vanquished by King David. So when all of Israel was under Jewish sovereignty. We're talking about almost 400, I think the exact number is 393 years after Joshua takes the Jews across the Jordan River. And they lived in a time of constant battle, of constant skirmishes with their neighbors. You read the book of of Judges, uh, you see. They were always fine with the Philistines, back and forth. It was just like uh, like the Israelis and Hamas now. Just every two two months, there's another flare-up. And you have a mitzvah. All able-bodied men go to Jerusalem, right? All able-bodied men go. Now it's important. It wasn't always Jerusalem. It was in Shiloh before the establishment of the temple. In Jerusalem, was it was elsewhere. All able-bodied men must make this pilgrimage. What, what about who, who's guarding? The, who's guarding your fields? Who's guarding your your towns? Who's guarding your women? Who's who's watching this? You have all the women. Are. Well, yeah. well, maybe, yeah. yeah. And all the children right? Say. Um, what about the babies? Yeah, everything. Yeah. Well, the women are doing it all with their little boys. Adult men that are healthy. At the moment, exactly, yeah. Now, the rabbinic requirement includes uh, children of eight and nine, because there's a, a mitzvah of chinuch, which is education. So, right. so it's not adult then? Well, the Torah says adult. Let's, let's stick to what the Torah says. Okay. okay? What are you going to do? Who's going to protect, who's protect your, 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 your family, your okay. fields? So what, does the, what does the verse say? No, forget about what, um, what, what we would want to say. What does the verse say? I'll read it again. Neither shall any man desire your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times during the year. Think about this prediction. It's a mitzvah. It seems very irrational. Not something that a human would concoct, uh, at least an intelligent human, especially not uh, with this prediction. Easily falsifiable. Right? It seems uh, very unreasonable for a human to write that. Right? If God writes it, well, it makes a lot of sense. God is able to manipulate uh, you know, the people and say that during these months they just don't have a desire to fight. Right? If a human wrote this book, it seems very unlikely that they... Uh, this, uh, this particular mitzvah, this particular verse, we said it was in uh, Exodus chapter 34... Uh, is is it seems very uh, unreasonable for for a human uh, to have written it. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, if you're intelligent and you're trying to concoct this fabrication, this hoax, would you really write something like this? All the all the Jews should abandon their posts. They should go up to Jerusalem or to Shiloh or to the temple. But don't worry, nothing will happen. Mm-hmm. And let's assume that people did follow it, right? We can assume that people were following. We know we have documentation of the Jewish people following the laws. They they were following it, uh, you know. We assume that they were following all the laws, you know, not just, you know, we have the documentation of Hanarians, for example. Um, but, but even if they didn't, but why would a, they write such a thing? It, it would be crazy. It, it seems like, it seems, it seems crazy for a human to write it. Now remember, I cannot say that we, we have evidence of the Jewish people all abandoning and uh, the enemy yeah. just, just laying down their weapons for, for, for a month. Or, we don't have that. 
but we do have what the Torah does say, and we can extrapolate from that that assuming the Jews, the Jews did adopt this document, that we know for sure, right? And we know for sure they did go, um, they did go up to, uh, to the temple, and they didn't reject the document afterwards. There was never a time when the Jewish people came back and they saw towns ransacked yeah, yeah. Yeah. and pillaged. They didn't see that, right? Because the second you see that, you say, this document's not true. And if, it's, a, it's, a, it's a claim that's easily falsifiable if it's not true. Human authors won't leave that kind of uh, that kind of risk uh, behind. The people that time had read uh, the Art of War, Sun Tzu. Yeah. yeah. So then they knew that there were certain rules of war, and you can't really just go. Well, over Sun Tzu came. Rules of war? What is that? No, I think that rules of uh, Sun Tzu is not rule of rules of war. It's it's the, it's the art of war. Well, it's called the art of war, but it's it it's it's about vanquishing your enemy. It's not, you know, the the idea of the groundwork. It's like you need to wear uniforms, and you need to attack this way, and you have to do things. Strategy. It's war strategy. But what does that have to do with this? No, but it's fine. Okay, okay. Huh? Uh, yeah. No, but the, the idea of the idea of humane warfare, we don't find anywhere until well, modern times outside of Torah. The Torah gives us requirements of of of, of warfare that just were so out of touch with its time, you know. Okay, the second one. Well, it's still like that in some places in uh, South uh, South America, right? <laughs> During the World Cup. And then there was stuff or conflicts, you know, all the people had to deal, whether it was religious or sporting events, and then they come back and the same sporting events. That's the point, yeah. Okay, Wendy. Shmita, the yeah, Shmita. We'll stop. We'll stop with this, guys. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone's any other questions, so we can bring them up now. And they were, I mean, the food just lasted. They stored it, and it lasted for that year. Well, remember, we even have earlier. We have uh, Joseph. Joseph. We're talking about Joseph. Is hundreds of years earlier. Joseph mm-hmm. had a whole method of of, of uh, maintaining food, of maintaining uh, uh, freshness of produce. Mm-hmm. You know, for us, we're not we're not used to this whole idea, but. They would take sand uh, or earth from uh-huh. where the uh, where the produce was grown, and they would like mix all the vegetables in the earth, like as if submerged in the earth, and that would that would uh, maintain its its freshness. Okay. Yeah, for the whole and year. Now, for years, animals, even years. It's only remember uh, Joseph. Joseph assembled enough food for seven years, right? They remember that? Joseph for the famine. For the famine. Only, I don't think they killed the animals. Vegetables. Agriculture. 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 It's, but it's not animals. Yeah, it is. Can, I think it is. Isn't can you, can you, you can't slaughter animals. animals? Yeah, of course you can slaughter animals. Yes, it's, 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 an, agri- this an, this an, agricultural, right? it's an agricultural yeah. law, yeah. But, you know, but remember, like, animals <clears throat> have to consume produce. Yes. Right. The second, the second, this is an important thing, by the way. The second, if, if, if earthworms didn't exist, nothing would exist. Would you believe that? Because yeah. yeah. if there's oh, yeah. no earthworms, there's no produce. If there's no produce, well, you know what? We'll, we'll just have steak. You know, well, no, you won't. <laughs> right? The animals need to consume that as well. So there'll be no grass, no nothing. So yeah. what do the animals? Do they get to eat the grass? Well, they, they can eat the wild grass. Yeah. yeah, for sure. They can eat the wild grass. Well, well they, they import everything. 
everything. No, no, but animals are allowed to eat wild rice. And in fact, I mean, humans are allowed to eat that as well. But what they yeah. would do is, and even Israel, you can see this today. It's incredible. Yeah. You go to Israel today, and you, you drive out to the fields, and you'll see signs that say, anyone come in and take whatever you want. Uh, the f- whatever does grow mm-hmm. on your trees or on your, you know, in your produce, whatever is like leftover stuff, uh-huh. you have to just let everyone take well, it. Didn't the Torah say, or somewhere, that the law was that you could take enough from your field that happened to grow for one day, right? That's it. You can only take enough. Yeah, for but one you, day's but you food. can't bar someone else from coming in. That's right, and the, everybody else was allowed to come and eat from those fields. Yeah, it's like and it's a big deal during um, one day's worth at a during time. the holiday of of Sukkot. Everyone needs uh, mm-hmm. esrogim uh-huh. in esrog. Yeah. So like to have like I had friends that would go out to any field and say, you know, they would say, sure, take any esrog you want. It's so expensive here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very expensive. Take any esrog you want. You know, but they but always tell them make sure to use them. Big problem with esrogs is that if an esrog contains any other nutrients from any other trees, if there's any sort of spleening done, it's not a, it's not a kosher esrog tree. If you take a, a citron tree and you merge it with a lemon tree, you'll have a much sturdier fruit. Citron tree is notoriously weak. Uh, they usually la- they have a very short lifespan, like ten years. That's <coughs> so there's a temptation to take um, the you know fork the uh, uh, the citron with a lemon. They're almost indistinguishable fruits. Mm-hmm. But it's not, that's not, not a kosher esrog. So, and they make sure, like, if you use this uh, scissors to cut from a different tree, mm-hmm. they won't let you bring that scissors in to cut uh, cut off your esrog. Oh, wow. They're like, uh, yeah. So, Rabbi, Shemitah starts this this month. Yeah. After yeah, the high yeah. holy days, right? After Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. On Rosh Hashanah or after Rosh Hashanah? Yeah, so, Rosh Hashanah. Um, so Rosh all the fruit the before already. Rosh Hashanah, is that's the one that they're giving away? Is that what you're saying? Like right before Rosh Hashanah? When after. Rosh Hashanah hits, all the laws are supposed to kick in. So the so fruit after, after that. I think there are also, if I'm not mistaken, the there are also some laws. Well, I mean, yeah. but if, what if the tree, you know, you have an apple tree and it just the next season it just goes ahead and grows more apples even though you haven't done you cannot to sell it, it. people can cannot just sell get it. it you cannot sell it yeah right? you can't hoard it either can't hoard it but right. you can't eat from yeah, oh, you, you can, can you're eat. like anyone else but you can eat your neighbor's you can eat well. one day's worth is what I oh, you can eat all worth. you want but there's so much that shit will yeah. all or you'll have enough gotcha yeah. so, so if you want you have lemon and I have apples we can trade whatever Okay, so let's just let's let's just uh, once again uh, go over what we did today. We started off with uh, with the um, I think this with this article, which I, to me seems like it's not doing the same logical assessment that we're trying to do here. Now, I'm biased; they're biased; we're all biased. Everyone has a certain perspective, of course. You know, uh, as I, I mentioned this already last week. <laughs> Everyone has a certain perspective, and everyone's very comfortable with their perspective. And it's very unsettling to hear a different perspective. So, of course, when someone writes, Camel had no business in, in, in Genesis, i.e., everything that Wally believes in is nonsense, of course, it's unsettling for me. This happens to be based on very, very shoddy logic. As we all saw, as you can just yeah. see, this is what the argument, you know? Uh, I don't think that we need. Uh, in trying to uh, demonstrate the veracity of the Torah, we don't need to rely on such shoddy methods. You know, I, I, we're bringing the verses. 
it's an open it's an open it's an open uh, discussion and would email me uh, uh, any particular aspect or challenge that they would like to discuss uh, you know we're not trying to uh, you know we are obviously picking things which are predictions which are you know bold and audacious predictions but of course this is what it's about it's ass- it's assessing the the evidence and trying to make a logical uh, a, a logical discussion and maybe even a logical conclusion as to the veracity of the Torah uh we said we started off with talking about Moses. Right, Moses was a verified prophet. We knew he was verified. We were there. We saw it. We experienced it. Uh, it was to us, you know, when you know Muhammad is his word, um, and we're not taking Moses for his word either. We were there. We saw it. We were, believe, we were believing God more than we believe in Moses. Uh, we rehashed what we did last week. Okay, listen to that last week. It's impossible to falsify such a claim. The Torah predicts that no one else will make such a claim, you know. And a human author who uh, assumed, if, if we assume that it was a human author who fabricated and created this hoax, it's unlikely that they would make this claim that it can't be repeated, uh, because that if it does get repeated, and if, if there's any other claim, if any nation has this claim, well, then, then the Torah is not true. The, the Torah says, "Oh, Hanish Makadavas, did you even hear anything like that?" And no one else uh, has yet to make this claim, and that's a very bold. An audacious prediction, and uh, I think it's it's significant. What else do we have? We went through the uh, shemitah cycle. It's uh, uh, also once again very bold to make the claim that there's be a bumper crop three years, no problem, guaranteed security. Just take a month off from your from your from your fee, from your lot. What's it called? Well, a year off from, from, from work, but a month off to go make the pilgrimage, no problem. No one will even desire your stuff, right? Once again, something that a, a human is not likely uh, to have written. So uh, we have more stuff. We have uh, uh, next week, I guess we'll continue from where we left off next week. And please uh, email this if anyone wants to listen to it again or send it to your friends or list us on my uh, website. I'm just trying to promote my website. I know I'm going to email. Well, I should put, I should put it on Facebook. You're I right. think so. So we can share it. Okay, awesome. I don't know if you want to. I don't know. Oh, yeah, share. Of course you share. Uh, and. I just want to give this to you. The address is right, but the names are wrong. I think. Okay. This is the same address with different names. What is this? Sure. Uh, this is the torch calendar. Yeah. It's so this is not yours? You have one? No, I don't so have So just one. take it. Oh, Does anyone, anyone else not have a torch calendar? <laughs> okay, I'll, bet I'll bring you some, bring some more. Is this the week. new one? Just, just, yeah, just process it. Have, we haven't gotten ours yet. But, yes. but I want them Should to be the last week. In, so in the, con- email Amy. David, Admin Amy? Torch, no, Admin I don't have one. What? I have not it's seen it. We got it last week. This one, I thought it was the... But it was last week. I got it last week. I joined because I enjoyed it. I haven't it. seen it I yet. I thought it was uh, Breakthrough. Breakthrough through the Bible? Well, yeah. that's going to start in a couple of weeks, but you're welcome to join it. This is called Taste of Torah. Oh, thank you. Come back, come back, and bring your friends. Okay, uh, next week we have a very nice idea. We have a lot of stuff later left to do. So. Uh, either way, everyone, best of luck.